Welcome, everyone, to the Monday morning edition of Unexpected Points, America's favorite analytics, grading, and takes podcast. I am your host, Kevin Cole, senior data scientist at PFF. What data scientist means, don't ask me. It's a nebulous term that uh, makes it sound pretty impressive. So I like it here. Anyway, guys, we're going to go through all of the Sunday action. You'll get the information on the betting lines, what happened there, the actual scores, my adjusted scores, which look at success rates a little bit more heavily, try to downweight some outlier plays, special teams, penalties, all that stuff. I'll talk about it and the differences as we go through the games here. And along with that, we'll try to get into a little bit of preview at the end of Monday Night Football, depending upon how much time we have here. But we got about... Uh, my, my scheduled window here is about an hour and 10 minutes, and we got a full slate of Sunday games to get through. So let's just get to it, and we'll talk along the way. We're going to start with Sunday night football. Nick Moore snaps it. Jordan Stout holds it. Justin Tucker wins it for Baltimore. And that's right. The Baltimore Ravens beat the Cincinnati Bengals 19-17. Baltimore was a three-point favorite going into this one. Um, it wasn't, it was close, but um, we're going to take, we're going to take our victory lap on recommending as a purely recreational Bengals plus three and a half. It's close there though, at two points. Um, but it moved down to three. A little bit more action was on Baltimore going into this game. The adjusted score here, Ravens fans, close your ears, or Bengals fans, close your ears, because both fans seem to, fan bases seem to hate this one if they win a close game or lose a close game. 29 to 23 for Cincinnati for the Bengals in this one. And I'll, I'll explain why. But before we do into that, this is a new little wrinkle I'm adding here. I'm going to have a number of the game for every single game that I'm going to go over before getting into the specifics about everything here. So the number of this game, and this helps explain part of the adjusted score differential and uh, the Bengals being good there is 13. Now, 13, that was the longest reception in this game for Jamar Chase. 12 targets in this game. None of them resulted in a play of longer than 13 yards. Last year, Chase completely torched the Ravens in two different games that they had. Last year, in those two games, he had 12 catches longer than 13 yards in those two games, including some big ones. So again, 12 catches in two games, longer than 13 yards, nothing better than 13 yards in this game. And it's really the wrath of too high defense is getting us all. Even the Ravens, the blitzing, aggressive, generate pressure, play man defense with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey on the back end and the great safety DB play that they have too. Now, um, they still 26 snaps they had in two high defenses this one, which was by far the season high for the Ravens this year. And they didn't generate any pressure even in this play, but they didn't really care. They only had a 14% pressure rate. They were only bringing fast pressure, which I define as 2.5 seconds or closer on 7% of the time. So barely getting any pressure, but Joe Burrow 4.2 average depth of target 4.2 yards in this game, small a dot, couldn't get anything going. That's a continuing concern for the Bengals offense. But 
they were able to be more successful on a down-by-down -down basis, which is what plays into their adjusted score being better. Whether they deserve that or not, or if this lack of explosive plays is now five weeks into the season becoming more of a permanent thing, um, despite having guys like Jamar Chase to throw to, we're going to have to see uh, going forward here. And when you when you don't have upside on that, when the Bengals don't have upside, what you have to do is you have to limit mistakes in this game. So there was a killer I, uh, INT by Patrick Queen on first and 10. Um, and because it was coming from first and 10, it's extremely impactful as far as the negative expected points. Negative 5.2 expected points on this game. The biggest play of the game. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit more later about the goal-to-go sequence where they turned a, I think it was second and two into a total boondoggle getting zero points on that one. Again, you cannot give away those types of plays when you cannot generate explosive plays. Two things just cannot go hand in hand. Last year, Burrow's taking a lot of sacks, throwing some interceptions, but they were also getting the explosive plays on the other side. They're off. They're off in that equilibrium there. And if I was going to have a second number of the week, for this game, it would be provided by friend of the show, Michael Lopez, head of analytics at the NFL. His number was 26.5. And what that is telling you is that if you split the uprights by the width of the uprights on the game-winning field goal, it went through with a Y-coordinate, so right between the two, 26.5 feet there. Now, the exact middle of the uprights is 26.7. So he calculated on this that if the uprights were only half a yard apart from each other. Now again, they are hugely apart, but they're only half a yard apart. They are, you know, 50 yards apart. I mean 50 feet apart. If they're only half a yard apart from each other, that kick still would have been good by Justin Tucker. Amazing, amazing. If you look at the analytics on Tucker, not only does he make field goals, but he's by far the best at splitting the uprights, which is another predictive factor in addition to whether you actually make field goals or not. Uh, overall in this game, it's kind of sloppy, honestly, offensively. Lamar missed some wide open throws down the field. There were no big plays because of that for either team. Um, but again, the Bengals had a 90% success rate, only 78 for the Ravens. And that's why they get a little bit better score in my adjusted scores. Only 10 drives for each team too. So they were moving the ball down the field, but slowly nothing at chunks here. Both quarterbacks graded in the sixties. Both of them had about flat or negative efficiency. Uh, I think Lamar got some praise because he had some good drives at the end, but he was also missing a lot of stuff here. It was a little bit of a role reversal game. For both these teams who had a lot of trouble so far this season running the ball, that they were actually able to run the ball in this game. They were able to run the ball, still couldn't bring defenses out of that too high um, in order to pass the ball. I think there's always been a lot of talk of you have to run the ball, force defenses out of too high, then you can get explosive plays in the passing game. Well, guess what? Dobbins went for five and a half yards per carry. Kenyon Drake went for 6.5 yards per carry. Joe Mixon went for 5.6 yards per carry, despite the fact that he'd only been averaging 2.7 yards per carry going into this game. And the team still sat back. And because of that, they had bend, don't break type of uh, defenses and held the opponents down and held their efficiency down overall. Okay, let's get into the goal to go sequence because that's probably what everyone's going to be talking about. 
Again, Zach Taylor looking looking good on that contract extension to the offseason because those calling for his head, if you know anything about um, you know Mike Brown and the owners over there at the Bengals, very cheap, uh, very cheap dudes over there. They're not going to be uh, wasting a lot of money, I don't think, firing someone they just extended uh, after a rough start, even if the season goes a little bit rough for the rest of the time. So the goal line sequence, this plays into one of my themes when it comes to these high – downside or low downside depending upon what you want to say at low floor types of plays when they do the Philly special and Tyler Boyd I mean he's got to be smarter on this play you either have to tell him because again you're you're so close your expected points are so high being right next to the end zone on um second and goal from the two huge expected points so you have huge downside for Boyd taking a 12-yard sack there, he has to know or he has to be told a million times when you're running on this play is just throw the ball at the back of the end zone if there's any chance that you're going to get tackled and lose yards on this because the downside is so huge. I mean, maybe you could say on a fourth down play, you don't care as much about the downside and you're going to fight for every single yard. You're not just going to throw the ball away. But on second down, you have to know to do that. And on third down, did a pretty good job getting close, uh, getting into go-for-it territory. It was a definite go-for situation here for the Bengals on that play. They get 12 yards on a pass to chase. They get down to the two-yard line, and then everyone wants to hammer them for the uh, you know, the shovel pass to Stanley Morgan. Is probably not the first guy you'd have listed up there for who you'd want to get to. It looks like there might have been a missed block by Leo Collins on that play. I'm not going to hit that too much. As far as the play call, I can see why people would be upset about not just going to your guy. But I think at that point, they were thinking decoy more for Jamar Chase than player. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it fails spectacularly. And that's what we saw on this particular play. I mean, I guess the upside, though, for for that play is not losing a bunch of yards and then pinning the the Ravens back on their own side of, of the end zone. Now, Harbaugh didn't go for it on fourth and basically inches and then had to burn a timeout leading into it later in this game. And this was an interesting call because the Ben Baldwin bot on this one had it being fairly even what you would have assumed on this one. And just to, to, to bring up the particulars here for what we're talking about in, in this game. So this was, Harbaugh, you just never see it from him as far as not going for it on these types of of plays. And the situation was fourth and one at the three-yard line with nine minutes and 46 seconds left to go. I mean, it's still a lot of time. So, you know, the whole thing of not wanting to be up by six at the end of the game versus being up by three, some of that is really near the end end of the game because you don't want to motivate them to score a touchdown and win the game versus accepting a field goal and going to overtime. You don't necessarily expect that the next drive for the Bengals to take seven minutes and 44 seconds off of the clock. Um, so maybe it's not the worst decision from that standpoint, but it was you know, intriguing to say the least that, that this ended up happening when there was a lean in that direction. You have Lamar Jackson, you have a team where you can basically put them away. You're already... Uh, on the 33-yard line. Sorry, I think I said... No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're already on the on the three-yard line. You're really close in there, about to score. 
eh, interesting one. I guess I just don't like it uh, much at all on that particular play. Actually, now that I'm looking, I had it wrong about using the timeout. They took a delay of game. So that's a smarter thing to do is to take a delay of game in that in that circumstance rather than take a timeout since it's a very makeable field goal either way. Uh, according to Matt Davidow at Deck Prism, which does in-game win probability, says that the probability that Baltimore would win when they chose to kick the field goal rather than go for the touchdown right then, it went from minus 400 to minus 300. So in other words, it went from an 80 percent win probability to a 75 percent win probability or they lost about five percent win probability so for guys who are in the business of doing in-game win probability taking bets on it they some of the smartest guys out there at deck prism which sometimes their numbers look a little bit squirrely but that's the case of pretty much any anyone's numbers in these late game situations they had that being as a five percent loss there um let's get to the playoff picture for this one so the bengals they lost about 10% playoff probability. It's down to 47% now to make the playoffs, 25% to, to win the division. They had a big opportunity here with the Browns losing also. Did not, were not able to cash in on that opportunity. And the Ravens now, 64% to make the playoffs, 45% to win the division. They are the leader to win the division there and a pretty good number to make the playoffs, but by no means are they a shoe in to get into this thing here. I think a lot of the internal problems with the Ravens when it came to not being able to generate um, kind of medium ish sort of plays versus these explosive plays, which they did not have in this game. And they did not have at the end of last game, though they had some missed opportunities in this game could end up biting them a little bit later down the season. Clearly not in the same class as the Buffaloes and the Kansas Cities of the world, but at least they're positioning themselves to go ahead and make the playoffs. All right, let's get back in chronological order here to the Sunday game where the Green Bay Packers faced the New York football giants. You ready for Lazard? Ball batted again. Incomplete. The Giants hold the Packers out of the end zone. One oh two to go. They get their first fourth down stop of the season. The-, the first fourth down stop of the season. That's an interesting stat there for the Giants as they bat down two balls back to back on third and fourth down with the Packers down seven, driving, trying to get the tie or maybe even go for two, although I doubt it, and get the win in that particular game. And This one was Packers end up closing eight and a half point favorites here. Um, For me, I guess, I guess I might as well hit the, hit the old buzzer here because I actually suggested two different things. I said, I thought Daniel Jones and his running would be so compromised that they would not be able to pass the ball that well in this game. So I liked either taking the Packers at eight and we got some, uh, you know, some sweet closing line value there, that half point when it went up to eight and a half or maybe even the over under. At 42, and that was, you know, that might as well might as well hit the double buzz there because that one was also not working out well at all. Um, what is the number of this game? Oh, actually, let me go through the sorry, I didn't go through the adjusted score. So 27-22 is the actual score. The Giants win by five points after taking a safety at the end of the game to run down the clock and get out of the shadow of their own end zone. Adjusted score, Giants 31-27. So five points and about same differential as the actual score, a little bit more on each side as far as their scoring. 
The number of the game for me, 14.1. Now, what is that number? That is Daniel Jones, the points that he added, the expected points that he added, dropping back to pass in this game where we exclude scrambles. This is the first time this season he's had a positive number when you exclude scrambles. He's actually been adding value, dropping back to pass. It was a combined negative 22 expected points going into this game when he had done that so far this year. Packers offense on the other side wasn't that bad, but each team only had eight drives. And the Packers only had one possession in the first 20 minutes of the second half. So two-thirds of the way through the second half, they had only had the ball once. It was a quick three and out, and they just sat there waiting and waiting and waiting the entire time. They only had three full possessions and zero offensive points in the second half. They were four for 10 on third down, over one on fourth down, not able to convert to keep the few drives that they had going. And that was a problem for them. Uh, Getting back to Jones here, 90th percentile success rate and efficiency dropping back to pass. Big numbers for him. Uh, 0.4 EPA per play, which is an outstanding number. It's going to be one of the top five numbers of the week. 75.8 passing grade. Subject to review. The grades are not uh, finalized at this point. So, But okay, great. Not not the most excellent there. He did have a fumble on a play that ended up getting a defensive hold, I think. There was a sack fumble that didn't count. That probably plays into our grading as being a potential turnover-worthy play there for Jones. And what's interesting about the fumbles, he only has one official fumble this this year in week one, whereas he was averaging about a fumble per game his first three seasons in the NFL. So that's been getting better each season. That was a major negative for him. The fact that they would lose so many fumbles on strip sacks in the past. Um, One interesting thing about Jones, this is partially why I was wrong about this game. I wasn't wrong about the fact that he wouldn't run that much, but they did have him run a QB draw on third and fourth, third and four and third and eight, which they failed on the third and eight. So they did run him some, but I really just did not see this type of passing efficiency from Daniel Jones. And that leads into kind of the big question coming out of this game. What do we think about this Packers defense? This is supposed to be an elite defensive unit. This is supposed to be a unit that was going to have Rashawn Gary and Devondre Campbell and um, Jair Alexander was going to be back. Right now they are 18th in EPA per play against versus 12th last season. They're 28th against the run versus 27th last season. They are 10th in dropback EPA, so a little bit better there versus 7th last season. And yet, if you look at the competition they've had, three of the five games this year, Daniel Jones, Bailey Zappi, Justin Fields, when Justin Fields was really not playing well at all. Um, They make Kirk Cousins look like an MVP candidate in week one. That is really the more concern for me. I know the Packers' lack of uh, explosive plays offensively is a bit of a concern. They did have a a fortunate DPI that they got with Robert Tunyon, and they had an unfortunate play where uh, Romeo Dobbs had, I think it was Jair Alexander, but I'm not sure, uh, faked out pretty well. And he kind of just – they had the the, – legal contact downfield because Rodgers were still holding the ball but it was the type of play where he was going to burn him and he was going to be open for a potential 70 yard touchdown so they do have some ability maybe with 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 Dobbs I think to get some explosive plays I'm not as concerned there I'm really concerned about the defense here for the Packers and this is a major major game for them as far as losing their divisional probability 
right now. They're down 16% to win the division, down to 43%. Now the Vikings, spoiler alert, uh, the Vikings who win today are up to 54% to win the division there. The Packers got some digging to do right now. Giants, you know, I still have them as a bottom 10 team in the NFL, but 44% chance to make the playoffs now. Uh, and they could get frisky if this could continue for Daniel Jones, what we saw in this particular game. And he is someone who in prior years never had the efficiency, but did show better grading than efficiency. I don't know if he can keep it going. Maybe they can actually, you know, make a little bit of noise here. I'm a bit skeptical, but still, I still have it as almost a coin flip for them to make the playoffs. So I would not be surprised at all if that ends up happening. Okay, let's get to who I would say is the best team in the NFL. You know, power rankers out there who are slaves to win-loss record may not have said that going into this game, but they may flip their tune after this one as the Buffalo Bills lay a beatdown on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bills 56% on third down, but it's third and 10, throwing into the wind, way down the field. Oh, my goodness! This is going to be 98 yards to Gabe Davis! A 98-yard explosion! Yes, yes, a 98-yard, not only is a 98-yard pass, not only is it from, you know, obviously your own two-yard line, not only did they, at least according to Jim Nance, was this into the wind for Josh Allen, but this is on third and 10, third and 10, biggest expected points added play, positive play of the entire season. I guess it shouldn't come as that much of a surprise. Third and 10 from your own two-yard line. You don't have – you got negative expected points going into that play because it's more likely than not you're not going to convert. You're going to give the ball to the other team, and they're going to score first from that position. Um, so biggest play of the year at positive nine expected points here. Uh, Gabe Davis, three catches, 171 yards. I had trouble deciding whether I was going to pick that highlight of Gabe Davis, but I thought the 98 yard thing was pretty cool on third and 10. He also had another, uh, I don't know, was it like a 60, 70 yard touchdown, a one-handed Randy Moss. He mossed uh, Micah Fitzpatrick on, on that one um, touchdown that he scored in this one. Huge breakout game there, but again, you know, three catches. We don't necessarily buy into that as being the most consistent potential performer going forward. Although I know uh, people who drafted him early, hopefully you started him after he was hampered last week and limping around. Hopefully you started him in your fantasy leagues this week. Mm. Okay, let's get to the particulars. The Buffalo Bills were 14-point favorites against the rookie Kenny Pickett at home in this game. A pretty huge number for a Pittsburgh team that's not, you know, it's not, it's not the Texans, right? Pittsburgh Steelers are not that sort of team, but they look like the Texans in this game. Losing 38-3. to Much more narrow adjusted score, but still, when we're talking about 18-point differential here, 28 to 10 in the adjusted score, it's just hard for any team to really have a three as their adjusted score unless they are completely feeble offensively. And again, when it comes to Buffalo, some of these bigger plays are not something that's going to happen week in and week out, even when it is Josh Allen. Uh, Let's get to the number of the game. I like this one. 13.7 is the number of the game. That was the yards per attempt for Josh Allen in this game. It is the highest yards per attempt we have seen since 2019. So in the last three seasons, 348 passing yards for Allen in the first half. And in the first half, he was 15.1 yards per attempt. So still keeping it at about 13.7 is impressive. and And I like it. 
some more reasons why let me dig into the particulars of why the adjusted score is a little bit more narrow than the actual score. So 71st percentile dropback success rate for the bills versus, you know, having almost a hundredth percentile in their efficiency, 80th in the run, but we're much higher in both of those things in terms of the big plays. Now, the Steelers, I mean, Mike Tomlin, I, I went on my professed, you know, rant earlier this year about getting Kenny Pickett in there earlier. Probably wasn't the best team, but I thought he equipped himself okay in this game. I don't think you could be that upset. He looked for Kenny Pickett for who he is, playing in Buffalo against that defense, who got healthy also. Um, I thought he was good. I thought he was okay. You know, you're not going to do a whole lot when you're just getting piled on on the other side. It puts a lot of pressure offensively on what you can do. But I'll just say Tomlin's not exactly helping him a lot in this game. They're running the ball a lot when they were down 14 on first and second down. I did not get that. They punted the ball down 21 points in the second quarter. Fourth and five. Um, I just don't get what is going on here. Um, they also, fourth and five at the Bills 15, they kick a field goal. Down 21 points which they missed, probably maybe the most appropriate miss ever. And, you know, it was not a huge win probability gain because you're already getting crushed by so much. It's the second quarter. There's a few minutes left. You know, the Bills already have like a 98% win probability in this game, being that they're 14-point favorites. They're up by so much, all that stuff. But still, like, what are we doing here for the Steelers? And he kicked another field goal from the 48 down 31-3. to Later in the game, um, I mean, maybe there's some feeling of just wanting to get points on the board. It actually reminds me a little bit of uh, last Friday. I decided that I was going to go and check out some local high school football. I wanted to see this team. Uh, I'm out in Maryland in the Rockville area. There's a school in Rockville called Richard Montgomery, which is like an OK school. They were at home. They were playing. It's this other team called um Quince Orchard, I believe. They were at they're just like this outstanding powerhouse in this area. Going into the game, they had scored 200 points and given up zero in the five games they had played. So they were 40 to nothing was their average uh, margin of victory. So I'm watching this game. They're up 20, 28 nothing because they can't be stopped offensively. Uh, Richard Montgomery, the, the underdog team, ends up scoring a touchdown. On the next drive, they get the ball back. Of course, you know, Quinn's Orchard scored another touchdown. So it's 35 to seven. Um, it's fourth and two on their own 40 yard line, and they, they punt. And I don't know, maybe high school football people, you can tell me, maybe this is like a honor code system thing here that if they start going for it and you're playing against a team that's that physically dominant, they'll just actually like destroy you afterwards if you mess with them and do that. But still, they punt the ball. It goes like 11 yards out of bounds rather than going for it on fourth and two after you scored the first points in the entire season against this team. The crowd was going wild after your last touchdown. And then you don't just go for it again. It was it was pretty weird. Pretty strange to me, but maybe Tomlin had a similar philosophy here of we're just pulling in the tent poles and we're we're done and we're not going to do anything that's going to that's going to injure our guy even more. And I know you only had a two percent win probability, even if you made some of these uh, fourth downs and went for it. But why not do it? Why not do it? And I'll state again. The uh, let's talk about some of the playoff implications of this particular game here. Um Bills now head and shoulders above everyone else, according to my power ratings. KC's number two, Chiefs are number two. 
And then there's a gap again going down to maybe the Bucks or someone else at number three there. The Steelers are down to a 12% chance to make the playoffs. It's looking pretty rough, but they could be somewhat happy, I think, with Kenny Pickett. He's probably going to be a limited kind of upside sort of guy as far as arm strength and things like that. But he looks mobile. He's making quick decisions. Tony Romo was lavishing some praise on him. I mean, maybe he just needed something to talk to, talk about in this game. But there probably is some positivity for them going forward. This is just not going to be a season where you're looking for a playoff run. All right, let's get to Cleveland. More heartbreak in the dog pound. Brissett. Dodging tackles. On the move. Throwing. It is intercepted at the goal line. Picked off by Alohi Gilman. Oh, Jacoby, 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 Jacoby. Talk about some bad decisions here. I mean, that interception on the goal line was an absolute killer, killer. 240 left. Um, you You have multiple downs still to get into the end zone. What are you doing there? 32% 32% win probability lost on that game. And that is the number of the game, 32. That's how much you lost from that. They went from a 56% win probability pre-snap. I'm sorry, it was third and seven from the nine. So they didn't have multiple downs to get in, but you're down by a couple of points. So you just kick a field goal, you at least take the lead after that, right? So they had a 56% win probability going into that play. It dropped all the way down to 24% after that interception. And Jacoby Percent for as well as he's played this year, This is becoming a little bit of a theme for him. 32% win probability in this game. 32% win probability loss against the Jets after the Jets made that improbable comeback. And then he threw an interception on the last drive where they easily could have gotten into field goal range, potentially kicked it there. 15% win probability lost with the late interception against the Falcons in that one. Uh, Again, this is becoming a theme for Jacoby Brissett, who has been playing well other than that. And I think it might have even affected some of the play calling late in this game where Kevin Stefanski could have pushed it a little bit more, I think, to get closer for what was the failed 54-yard field goal attempt by Cade York to end this game. I don't know. Maybe part of that was not trusting Jacoby Brissett to not throw another awful interception there at the end of the game. He, He probably should have to get a little bit closer. Uh, York also, the rookie, missed another field goal in this game. So that brings me to my my second number of the game, which is 3.9. And that's how many expected points were lost on Brown's field goals in this game. In a game they lost by two points. They lose 3.9 points on uh, field goal attempts. So a tough, tough loss for the Browns. And when we get, let's let's get the headline numbers here. The Chargers were a one-point favorite going into this. But again, you know, Around the zero, it doesn't really matter who's favored by one point or not. Uh, Chargers win two points, 30 to 28. And the Browns narrowly 31-30 adjusted score, um, which means now the Browns are 5-0 and according to adjusted scores. Now, of course, you don't apply adjusted scores to wins and losses like that. I'm just doing this more as a tongue-in-cheek sort of exercise. But, you know, actual record versus adjusted record, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Um, not good for the Browns so far. A lot of winnable games where it has not gone their way. And I think a lot of the fingers are going to be pointed at Stefanski as they always are. He's the head coach, but a lot more are probably going to go towards Joe Woods 
we may be on watch for, I don't know if you can fire someone during midseason, but last season it was all the explosive plays were happening to them over and over again. All the third down conversions were happening to them. And internally, they had a good pass rush. They had a decent you know, back end there. They were building. They've been building that defense for a number of years now. That you were thinking, okay, that those things will turn around. The sloppiness, the mistakes, those things will get a little bit better. Well, I mean, they just haven't. They're 32nd in rushing EPA on defense this year. And Austin Eckler, you know, ran for 173 yards on 16 carries. That just can't happen. Um, they're 24th in dropback efficiency and 30th overall. Way too much talent on this Browns team. Way too easy of a schedule so far also. I mean, Justin Herbert's a, a tough, a tough uh, offensive guy. But up until this point, you know, the Falcons, the Jets, the Panthers – um, way too easy of a schedule up until this point for, for them to be this bad defensively. I mean, you know, Nick Chubb did Nick Chubb things as usual. Jacoby Brissett outside of that awful interception was not that bad, but also defensively zero sacks in the game. Now Herbert is a master at getting rid of the ball quickly, but still you need to get some of those plays. If you have miles Garrett, you know, healthy for this game and playing. Maybe he was a bit hampered on this one, but you need to get some of those plays defensively. Uh, Browns down to 37% chance to make the playoffs now, which is very disappointing. I mean, maybe when, maybe going into the year, you wouldn't think it'd be that bad without having Deshaun Watson at this point. But man, they've just been there in so many games. Chargers up to 58%. So not, you know, solidly in the playoffs by any stretch of the imagination for the Chargers in a tough AFC, but big victory for them. Uh, good game, I think, for Herbert. And quietly, he's 12th in grading and 8th in efficiency this year. So he's not the top five, multiple top five quarterback that we saw last year. But ribs heal up. You know, Keenan Allen comes back. They get moving a little bit here. It'll be uh, something where you can be interesting going forward. Uh, the last thing we got to talk about, I guess, we got to talk about the Chargers attempting to go on fourth and two up to at about midfield and then failing on that one. There's some bad numbers out there from the the Ben Baldwin bot where it says fourth and one. And some people have shared that as being just massive, massive win probability gain that you should go for it. I mean, I think even if you put fourth and two in there, you're still going to have a pretty significant win probability game. But I mean, Staley would have gotten killed if they, <laughs> if they lost, if they lost that game, especially going against an offense where they probably look better according to some peripheral numbers, then they would be in a two-minute situation. Then Jacoby Brissett is in a two-minute situation near the end of the game where they need to move with no timeouts, all that sort of stuff. I think that would be a bit more difficult for the Browns offense. So the numbers probably don't incorporate that also. So I could see this being a more coin toss-ish sort of decision with a lean towards going for it. I don't see it as being as strong as the numbers probably say when you look at these agnostic numbers that just look at the point spread and, and, and things like that in this particular game. All right, let's get to a shootout in the Big Easy when Gino, the Geno Smiths, the fighting Geno Smiths, come to New Orleans. And that means they're going to run it with Hill. This is where he could go. Every time and now he's gone. It's a foot race, but the speed of Lillard, will he get there? No, touchdown! A 60-yard scamper for Taysom Hill. Oh, 60-yard scamper for the Taysom one. Now, 
you don't want Jameis to get injured. You don't want your starting quarterback to get injured. But the fact that they're using Taysom at least a little bit more, I think is a positive here for the New Orleans Saints. Now, the number of the game here, this Taysom Hill's touchdown will play into this. Again, three touchdowns on the on the ground and another passing for Taysom Hill. Hope you had him in your tight end spot in your fan, in your fantasy league because that's, I think, where he's designated in a lot of places. Um, nine is the number of the game in this one. That's right. Nine plays in this game of 30 or more yards. We talk about the lack of explosive plays um, across the board in a lot of these different places. No lack of explosive plays here in New Orleans. We had a very nice 69-yard run, I believe, from Kenneth Walker. You had the 60-yard run from Taysom Hill. You had other plays of 54 yards, 50 yards, 40 yards, 35 yards, 32 yards, 32 yards, 32 yards. Lots of plays here. Uh, secondary number here, 1.4. That was the expected points added per play for Taysom Hill, who ran the ball nine times and passed once. Uh, he had 14.1 expected points added on 10 plays. The entire rest of the Saints offense, 62 plays for the entire rest of the Saints offense, negative 6.8 expected points. 14 points on 10 plays for Taysom, negative 6.8 on 62 plays for the rest of the um, offense. And, you know, the adjusted score is a little bit low on this one. Let me get to the numbers here. 5.5, I'm sorry, 5.5 point favorites were the Saints. They win 39-32. So that's a high scoring game with all those big plays. But the adjusted score is only 28 to 17 because of all of these big plays and the unlikely nature of having that many in a row. Uh, Lower success rates for both teams. Both teams were only in the 50th percentile as far as their success rates are concerned, but they were just firing big plays, big passes from Geno to Tyler Lockett, big runs from um, Kenneth Walker, big plays from Taysom Hill, all of those sorts of things just boosted up the actual scoring versus their uh, success rates in this game. And also both teams struggled a little bit on third down the Seahawks in particular. This is what really cost them the game here. One for nine on third down zero for one on fourth down in this game. Um, it's a good example. When we look at Gino in this game of grading versus expected points added and the difference between that efficiency versus the grading, because Gino in this game had another 90 grade uh, he's first in grading on the season, five big time throws in this one, but you know, it, there was a lack of consistent success outside of those big time throws. The big time throws have a heavy, heavy influence on grading, but they're not really proportional as far as the value that they add in actual points in expected points versus the value that they have in our grading system because of his third down troubles. The fact that he took a few sacks Two killer sacks, too. Two third and um, two third and two sacks, and he took when he took these <laughs> he took these sacks. These are probably sacks that should have lower grades. Also, these are almost like turnover worthy play type of grades they should have on these sacks that we don't really do grading because one sack he took six point nine seconds after the snap. I mean, you got to do something with the ball. <clears throat> Another one he took with 10 seconds after the the snap. And the one he took with 10 seconds, there's four minutes left in the game. They were down seven. They never got the ball back after that. Third and two, four minutes left in the game, down seven. He runs around forever and then just eats the sack eventually after 10 seconds. Again, those are plays that are going to look highly negative in expected points added and win probability added. Also, not quite as negative in our grading where we don't hit them with a turnover-worthy play because he did not – 
fumble the ball. He did not lose the ball in a strip on that one. He just took an egregiously bad sack. Um, but still, we, we, we got to let's let's not go negative on Gino. Everyone's going to accuse me of being a Gino Gino hater. Uh, you got to tip the cap here. He's first in our grading so far this season, and even in EPA per play, which hasn't been as good, um, fifth in EPA per play amongst quarterbacks so far this season clearly a top five type of quarterback how he's been playing this year and this is against a new orleans saints defense which is tough this is not against the detroit lions this is against the saints uh dalton i would say you know whatever he was he was fine in this game 70 grade he had slightly positive expected points added we'll see what they do with Jameis. the team you know has a win here had a very close almost win against a good Vikings team last week, both of them with Dalton. Eh, you might not be against might not be against Dalton uh, going forward. Other things to think about in the game, there's a weird fake punt for Michael Dixon, the punt god, Michael Dixon. I don't know what was going on there. That hurt Seattle, obviously, in a close game here. That was the fourth down lack of conversion there. Um, Chris Olave's in the concussion protocol, got a touchdown because he got the third foot down, but was completely knocked out after getting slammed on his head on a TD play. We'll see that. Rashad Penny injured. Looks like it could be more of a long-term thing. I'm not quite sure of the importance there. I mean, we saw Kenneth Walker come up with a, a huge touchdown run after that. I mean, Walker could be a huge, huge player in fantasy football now that uh, the, the he's going to have the lion's share of the work and the offense is playing well. Playoffs are concerned. I mean, the Seahawks, despite being – Frisky so far this year, this year, we're never really in the playoff hunt saints up to 20% playoff odds. So they're, you know, they're there, but I wouldn't consider it in great position or anything like that, but they are at least hanging around. All right, let's get to the aforementioned Vikings at home against the Chicago bears. Fields underneath. He finds the former Viking Amir Smith Marset. And it's stripped away by Dantzler! He takes it down into Bears territory! A huge turnover with a minute to go! Yes, Cam Dantzler strips and takes the ball away from former teammate there to seal the game. Shockingly, Minnesota was only up by a touchdown, 29-22 at that point. That is the final score. After being 8.5-point favorites going into this, adjusted score much, much higher for uh, Minnesota, they were shouldn't have been as close as it was. Uh, Forty-one to eighteen is the adjusted score in this game, and the number of the game is fifty. And I still want to highlight the Bears being okay in this game because that was their success rate offensively on dropbacks. So specifically, Justin Fields in this game, they had a thirty-six percent success rate coming into this game, which was the second worst in the NFL. Now they're up to fiftieth in this game, which is a, which is a solid number. Only seven teams have a higher dropback success rate this season. So I think we have to say the first positive sign for Fields. And not only was it the first positive sign this season, he averaged 0.3 expected points added per play, which was his best number by far of his entire career. This is a career game for him in Minnesota, which is encouraging. Now, David Montgomery, and the reason the offensive number is low for them overall, 20 yards on 12 carries. Um, And the grading is weaker, though, for Fields because – it's in the 50s, actually, um, because there was a dropped INT and there was also a strip sack that was recovered by the offense. So that didn't affect his efficiency, but is going to hurt his grading very much so. Um, 99th percentile success rate for 
the dropback offense of the Vikings. That's why they have that high, high 41-point adjusted score here. Cousins started the game 17 of 17 passing the ball. A couple of touchdowns for Dalvin Cook. He finally getting those high-value touches near the goal line that he hadn't been getting. 12 catches for 154 yards for Justin Jefferson. Okay, the results of this game, we're going to get straight to it and try to crank through some of these. 78% chance to make the playoffs now for the Vikings, one of the more surprising teams this year. Began the season under 50%, now is close to 80% here. And leading at the Packers in their division probability at 54% to win that division, which I mentioned earlier, but probably takes some reiterating after what we'd seen there, how surprising that actually is. All right, before we get to the rest of the games here, let's talk sponsors and first we're going to talk DraftKings. the nfl action is in full swing here at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl we're talking touchdowns big plays and even bigger wins new customers can bet just five dollars on any nfl team to win and get two hundred dollars in free bets if they do if that's not enough everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays right now for every leg you add you can boost your winnings up to 100 with bigger payouts than ever why bet football anywhere else to make things even sweeter you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code PFF. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for more details. And also, the Unexpected Points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, starting to plan a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investments, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day, team up and understand the needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's go to the GOAT at home against the Mariotte uh, uh, in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady on third down, scans the field, and gets sacked. Brady Jarrett brings him down. But then a flag flies. A flag comes out at the end of the play. Oh, my goodness. This is going to go on Atlanta, breaking Falcons' hearts. Oh, yes, it broke Falcons' hearts. Now, you guys could say uh, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm, not being biased against Brady here or the Bucks because I'm not playing a positive play for them in a game that they win 21-15 after being up 21-0. But this was the play that everyone was going to be talking about, a roughing the passer call against Grady Jarrett. Um, when there, it wasn't a roughing. We know that. The, the announcers were pretty sick there. Man, you should really hear the copy of the Falcons radio guys. <laughs> They're just going nuts on this one. And, I mean, why it was so significant. I mean, this is the end of the game. That would have gotten them the ball back. I really would have loved to see it because the Falcons went for two down eight. Props to, uh, you know, Boomer Arthur Smith for doing so there. Put them in position, only being down six points to score a touchdown, kick the extra point, and win the game. But instead, Tampa Bay is able to run out the clock. And there is no storybook ending for the Falcons. Okay, particulars in this one, Falcons, 10.5 point underdogs against the Bucks. Again, 21-15, six-point differential after the Bucks were up 21-0. Because of that big lead and coming back and the 
less predictiveness of that sort of low win probability comeback. The numbers lean further towards the Bucks in this one, 33 to 20. And the number of the game here is 52. That's the number of pass attempts for Tom Brady. And this is in a game they were up 21-0 late in the third quarter. That is 22% over expectation for what for, for Brady. You know, he was the number one guy last year in over expectation. Was a little bit weak the first few games of the season. Now has come back strong. The Falcons on the flip side, 15% under expectation. Being down a lot, still did not pass it a ton in this game. Okay, beyond that, where they got robbed or not, and some fans have said, oh, there was a missed defensive pass interference to play before that. Uh, maybe that happened, but nobody, <laughs> nobody's talking about that. Nobody saw that. So everyone's going to be talking about that particular play. L- let me move past that for a while and just say, for the Falcons, probably the only thing we're really thinking about now is when is it uh, Ritter time? You know, when are we going to see the rookie here? The third round rookie, unfortunately, is 49ers and Bengals the next two games. Not necessarily ideal, but I don't really care about schedule that much. And the thing about Mariota is he's not playing that poorly. His grading has not been good. He's 27th in grading, but he's 19th in his efficiency. It's just he had fewer than 150 yards again. They're just not passing the ball. So if you're going to have this veteran and you're not going to trust him to pass the ball, what's the point? Uh, He had about flat EPA in this game, so not bad, 67 grade. Kind of meh in both in both areas. 61 yards on the ground on seven carries. So that has been something that he's been able to do uh, effectively this year. Brady. Let's talk Brady for a second here. Very quietly. He's eighth in our grading amongst quarterbacks this year. Tenth in EPA per play. Very, very quietly. He's putting himself in the top 10. Now they have the Steelers and Panthers next, the next two games. They have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL for the Bucks, And this didn't affect them much from a win probability standpoint. I mean, from a playoff probability standpoint, it helps that the Packers are now, you know, falling away to dust, but the Eagles are still doing well. So the Eagles are still going to be the favorite to get the bye and win the conference. But again, Watch out. Watch out for, for these Bucks because easy schedule, Brady playing a little bit better, passing the ball better, getting healthy. You know, wasn't a test today, but they have a pretty easy schedule that they're going to have going forward. All right, let's go to the nation's capital where the Tennessee Titans came in to face our Washington Commanders. Wentz, quick pass, and it's intercepted! with the interception and he's finally brought down near midfield as time expires Carson Wentz Wentz stood up you knew the mistake was coming eventually for Wentz uh what a pretty decent game actually um and what was interesting about that whole sequence there at the very end of the game they're trying to score they're down four points they have it near the goal line is he almost threw an interception on the first two plays also so if you don't succeed you know try try again and he did try again and he Got his interception on the last play. David Long makes the play, returns it, as, and time expires during the return. The Tennessee Titans were half-point favorites going into this game, so it was basically a pick em. They win, again, 21-17. My adjusted score, very similar, 23-19. to Number of the game, I'm going to put it two. And that is because the Commanders had a second percentile 
rushing success rate in this game. One of the worst rushing performances of the year. 28 yards on 12 carries for Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson combined. Could not get anything going on the ground. Um, It was actually like some positive stories here for the commanders. Out of nowhere, Diami Brown, their third round pick, I want to say, from last year. Two catches, 105 yards. Might have been a fourth round pick. Two catches, 105 yards, 76-yard touchdown pass. Some really nice plays there after kind of being thrown under the bus by Amon Ross St. Brown, pointing out that he was drafted before him and wasn't doing anything when they faced each other earlier this year. But the problem with the commanders here, you know, make or miss league, third down. One for 11 on third down. They had 6.6 yards per play to only 3.9 yards per play for the Titans. So their internals were, were better, were pretty good on this one, just could not convert on third down. So this win for the Titans, plus the Jags loss, spoiler alert, uh, moves them up to a 54% chance to win the division. The Titans, 54% chance to win the division. Uh, don't look like a great team, but better than a coin flip chance. They're going to win this division now with Jacksonville falling apart. And why don't we just roll right into then the not most hyped game, but <laughs> easily by far, but Jacksonville at home against probably the league's worst team, according to power rankings and numbers and betting markets, the Houston Texans, uh, a game where they really needed to seal the deal. Against the Colts in Houston. Can they get one here in Jacksonville? Pierce breaking tackles. Pierce still on his feet. And they finally bring him down. Beastly running from Pierce. Oh, Damian Pierce there. Let's let's just roll right into the number of the game. 13 is the number of the game. That's broken tackles for Damian Pierce in this one. Tied for the most this season in any game with Nick Chubb, who also had 13 broken tackles in week one against the Panthers. Pierce finishes with 99 yards and a touchdown on 26 carries. I mean, not highly efficient, but gets things moving and especially important to get things moving in such a low scoring game. The Jacksonville Jaguars, seven point favorites at home. Lose to the Houston Texans 13 to 6. And the adjusted score leans towards Jacksonville 26 24. Both of these teams just could not get anything going, could not get into the end zone. Um, 0 for 3 on fourth downs were killer for Jacksonville. Uh, their second, third, and fourth most negative plays of the game were failed fourth down conversions. A combined negative 10.5 expected points being unable to convert those. And these were good tries. I mean, one of them was at midfield. Two of them were in that 35 to 40 yard range from the end zone, which is the you know kind of dead zone for kicking field goals, but also a high value gain if you make them going forward. So these are all good calls. They just weren't able to do it. Lawrence was um, very shaky in this game. And another play I considered making the clip here, which maybe I should have made the clip because the most negative play of the game was an awful pick from Lawrence that the rookie Derek Stingley got in the end zone. I mean, just cannot make this play. It's second and one from the seven yard line. Lawrence is rolling, 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 eventually decides to try to force into the end zone and look like he just did not see that Stingley was right in the path of the ball. Um, Big play, big play. Again, the most impactful play of the game. You just cannot do that for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence is down to 27th now in grading this year, but he's 11th in EPA per play. It was a little early. Everyone doing their victory laps and crowning him La- a couple of weeks back. Had a couple of struggle games. Last week, you could write off some of it due to the weather. 
A little bit more difficult to do it this week against the Texans. Still, the accuracy and being high a lot on the ball is just coming through for Lawrence. And maybe that can get fixed eventually. We did see Josh Allen's accuracy issues get fixed, and he was coming from a much worse place than where Trevor Lawrence is starting, so it's possible. But we need to see some of that before we can get really confident in this Jaguars team. One other note I'll make here. Some people were also crowning Trevon Walker as the, you know, the number one pick 10 pressures and one sack on 141 pass rush snaps this season. Great in the sixties. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, he hasn't been great either, but um, Trayvon Walker also is slowed down a bit versus some of the promise that he showed, especially in week one against Carson Wentz. But a lot of people show promise against Carson Wentz, at least pass rushers show promise against him. So the Jags are down to 23% chance to make the playoffs, 11% chance to win the division. We have them as being, you know, a bottom 10 team still in the NFL. Maybe we should be a little bit higher on them, but they're proving it somewhat with what we saw from them this week. All right. The J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets at home against the Miami Dolphins. Zama the tight end on the move with a couple backs and a fake by Wilson and a block by Uzama. And downfield they go! This is the rookie running back hole! There's a block downfield by Berrios! Still on his feet, dragging defenders down to the one! Oh, Brees Hall with a huge game. The rookie has that 70-yard-ish, I'm sorry, 79-yard catch there. Also finishes with 97 yards and a touchdown on the ground. 100 yards in total through the air. 197 yards and a touchdown. Huge game from Brees Hall there. The Jets were three-and-a-half-point underdogs despite the fact that Teddy Bridgewater, not Tua Tungavailoa, was the starting quarterback. Win the game in somewhat convincing fashion, even though it was a little tight in the second half. They win 40-17, to 17, adjusted score 28-23, to 23, which reflects a little bit more how tight this game was. Number of the game, 74.4, highest passing grade of Zach Wilson's career. Now, that's subject to review, so that number may have already changed as I'm talking to you here. Uh, only 210 yards passing, and again, 79 yards on that one wheel route to a wide-open Brees Hall, but... You know, let's look at the positives here. Zero turnover-worthy plays, 10 yards per attempt, completed two-thirds of his passes after having some struggles there. You know, best best game of his career, I would say, overall against the Dolphins defense, which can sometimes confuse and stymie opposing quarterbacks. So Teddy Bridgewater went out in this game, put into the concussion protocol. Immediately, the new concussion protocol rules which say that if you have instability, Even if you pass the concussion test and it can be linked to something else, you are out of the game. You're in the concussion protocol. Teddy is there. Now let's see if Teddy or Tua are cleared for next week because seventh-round rookie Skylar Thompson, my man Skylar Thompson, I've been touting him for a while here, got into the game. He struggled. He definitely struggled, but it wasn't an ideal circumstance for him coming into the game either. I think he played okay. He made some plays, but... You know, negative three EPA per play. The biggest plays that he really had on offense were 95 yards in pass interference penalties that the Dolphins were able to draw. Uh, Anything else that's interesting in this game here? Because, you know, third string quarterback we're talking about here. Well, the Jets winning again is interesting because, I don't know, we're we're still probably putting them in the bottom 10 teams in the NFL, but they're up to a 25% chance to win, to make the playoffs. 
a little bit better than the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? We were just talking about Jacksonville as being this great, great team. I have them at 23% to make the playoffs. Now the Jets are 25% chance to make the playoffs. And for the Dolphins, you know, things are starting off so well for them. Now they're slightly below 50% chance to make the playoffs. And with the Bills playing so, so well, um, the division title now is only a 10% chance for them going forward. Other notes you may be or may not be interested in, Raheem Mostert kind of took over in the backfield, 18 carries to chase Edmonds once. He looked really good and spry and fast. And he's another, you know, guy who runs a 4-3 in addition to Waddle and Tyreek Hill on that offense. So I'm not pushing the panic button for Miami. I'm not pushing the, you know, uh, total fraud button on the Jets because they looked a little bit better in this game. But I think defensively in particular, the Jets have been pretty solid. So, you know, they they have a chance to do well here. And I think the second-year quarterback competition is just muddled as ever here with Wilson and Lawrence showing some flashes. But who knows about those guys? Uh, Mac Jones, I thought he was okay, but not great numbers before going down to injury this game. And Justin Fields finally had a good game, but a little bit more negative baggage for him so far this season. All right, let's go. Speaking of Mac Jones, Mac Jones is out. Bailey Zappi starting the game, his first NFL start. You never would have expected Bailey Zappi and Skylar Thompson both playing in the first quarter of their game. Bailey Zappi facing against America's favorite team, the Detroit Lions, at home or the Patriots. Let's get to the 23 for a first down. Goff under pressure, lost the football. Patriots recover. It's in the hands of Kyle Duggar, and he will take it all the way for a New England defensive touchdown. Oh, yeah. Defensive touchdown and fourth downs were the story of this game. Six is the number of the game. That is the number of times that the Lions attempted and failed all six times on fourth down. I believe this is the worst game for fourth down conversions ever. Week 17 last year for the Bears, they were one for six against the Vikings, but I think this 0 for 6 is the worst ever. The play that we just talked about here was a fumble 6 on 4th and 9 for Goff. Goff had an awful game. Uh, A bagel here. The Patriots win 29-0. They were 3-point favorites going into it. I have them 32-12 to in the adjusted score, so a dominant adjusted score here too. Uh, A bagel for the previously the NFL's highest scoring team going into this game. Patriots are kind of out of the division hunt with the Bills there, but 27% chance to make the playoffs here. The Lions are out of everything. Uh, Dan Campbell and that staff, we'll see what they're going to do. It's going to be a lot of soul-searching there. And Jared Goff, again, just an awful, awful game for for him. Um, Worst grade of the season, worst efficiency by far of the season. Any other notes here? Damon Harris was knocked out of the game. Ramondre Stevenson looked pretty good for him going forward. Bailey Zappi was okay, but he didn't have to do a lot in this game where they win and shut out the Patriots. All right, let's go to Los Angeles where the America's team Dallas Cowboys uh, comes into town and puts a lot of pressure on Matthew Stafford. Third and one fake pressure. Stafford is buried. Ball is out. It's picked up by Dallas rumbling for the end zone is Lawrence. He's going to get there for the touchdown. Yes, yes, yes. The fumble six. There, another fumble six. Uh, Stafford was under pressure 40% of the time in this game, which maybe gives him a little bit of an excuse, but we'll get into some more of the Stafford discourse because 
He's he's pretty lucky that he got <laughs> that they won that Super Bowl last year, or else things would be wild right now as far as the Stafford discourse and how he's playing so far this year. Uh, actually, let's get to the number of the game. Um, 36 is the number of the game. So if you count up all the individual pressures for Cowboys pass rushers, now you can have multiple pressures on one play, like if three guys get there, like a, on that fumble six, there's a bunch of guys there at the same time. That's how many pressures that their total defense combined for. 36, an absolute huge, huge number. Seven pressures, two sacks. For Micah Parsons, Defensive Player of the Year, front runner, I think. Is there anyone else, really, who's in there? I don't think so. The, uh, Micah Parsons, front runner there, uh, despite being hampered in the second half. Rams averaged one yard per carry on seven first down runs. That is still a debacle. Um, the Cowboys' offense was pretty horrible, but another win, 5-0 and for Cooper Rush as a starter, 4.8. Expected points added on the Tony Pollard 57-yard run. Negative 12.2 for the offense outside of that. Both teams were under the 20th percentile in success rate. The Rams were under the 10th percentile. Uh, Cooper Rush, negative 0.3 EPA per play, only 100 yards passing. We'll see how Dak looks physically, but this is a good game for to quiet down the Cooper Rush nonsense, even if they end up winning this game. The Rams were 5.5-point favorites going into this. Cowboys win by 12 points, 22 to 10. Just a score more narrow again because outside of that 58, 57-yard run for Pollard, the offense was, was not good. 19-15 uh, to Dallas. Let's talk about um, Stafford really quickly. Again, he has excuses. A lot of pressure and multiple players pressuring him all the time, like intense pressure. No running game. The running game stinks. Um, but... 29th in grading for Stafford, the most negative plays in the NFL when it comes to expected points lost on sacks and interceptions, 30th in EPA per play this season. There's going to be some talking about Matthew Stafford going on now, going on going forward, but again, they got that playoff, they got that Super Bowl, so good for them. Uh, Rams now under 50% chance to make the playoffs. This is a team that was expected to be a top five sort of team. Dallas, 80% chance to make the playoffs, but only 20% chance to win the division. So looking like a likely wildcard team here for the Cowboys as they keep it going forward. Best case scenario with Cooper Rush playing so far this season. All right, let's go to Arizona where the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles came into town. It's up there. It's out there. Unreal. And it's no good in the direction he had trouble with before the game. Matt Amendola, the poor guy here, backup kicker um, with Matt Prater injured, comes in and misses the game-tying field goal there from 43 yards. And that leads straight into the number of the game, and that's 83. And that is the expected make probability for that one. So I'm going to you know, lean against some of the blame here for him. So roughly one out of every five times someone misses that. Now, the bad part about this is you saw him miss that kick the same exact way in pregame warmups. They were showing that. He did make another kick in this game, but they were showing him on that side of the field miss it almost exactly, a carbon copy of what we ended up seeing at the end of this game. Um, one of the things to consider on this is why you don't necessarily just blame the kicker so much is, you know, this would have tied the game. So they would have had less than a 50% win probability still to win this game, even if he made it. And the 
you know, they were underdogs in this game. The Cardinals were five and a half point underdogs. So in OT, they would probably be somewhere in the 40 to 45% win probability range to win this game. Okay, again, five and a half points was the spread. Philly wins by a field goal, 20 to 17. Adjusted score pumps up for both teams, 34 to 29. They're actually pretty good offensively in this game, but they only got nine drives each. It was a grinded out sort of game offensively, which took a lot of time off the clock and did not allow two teams that were being pretty successful offensively to get the ball that often. Uh, the grading's not great, though, for the quarterbacks because of some turnover-worthy plays. I don't think the grading really captures the good efficiency that they had in this game because Kyler, 42 yards rushing on four carries. Those are some big ones that he made there. Hurts, 62 on six carries. And, you know, at the end of the game, some nasty stuff here as far as time management. They spike it once earlier, and then there's the spike again on third and one that maybe Kyler didn't know was third and one because he thought it was first and 10, which forced them to kick the field goal rather than try to gain some more yards there. You know, it looked bad. It looked bad. Um, Going forward, though, the Cardinals still have a 34% chance to make the playoffs. I think their offense is at least looking a little bit more functional. In the front view, they see DeAndre Hopkins maybe coming back. Rondale Moore is doing something offensively, which I think is a pleasant surprise for them. If you look at this game, seven catches for 68 yards. And, you know, he was a guy who had an average depth of target of only one, basically, in previous games. This game, it was down to being low again, 2.3, but he was higher in the game before. A couple of explosive plays for him, which we really did not see last year. And Marquise Brown has been playing well. For them. So if you have Brown, Moore, Zach Ertz is a stable sort of guy, DeAndre Hopkins coming back, Kyler starting to rush it a bit more, you know, I can get somewhat excited about this team to see what they can do going forward. Um, Also, when you think about the Cardinals, they've had the seventh most difficult schedule so far this year. It comes to about 14th going forward. So they they got a chance to get a little bit better as far as that is concerned. Uh, Eagles, 95% chance now to make the playoffs. One of the best, if not the best, 63% chance to win the division. They're looking very, very good and solidifying even more their chances of getting that by. Though, again, the Bucks are in the rear view mirror a little bit, getting a little bit closer because of the fact that they have an easy schedule so far this year. But a big victory for the Eagles here. And it's just, you know, getting wins when you need to get wins. Wasn't the prettiest last week, wasn't the prettiest this week, but they're showing such a high floor here with a good offense and good defense. That's what makes them great going forward all right let's get to the last game here and i don't think we're going to do a monday night wrap up because we don't have enough quite enough time here but the last game is the hot seat king matt rule at home with with the carolina panthers facing a top defense of the san francisco 49ers shotgun for mayfield pump hooks a pass and he tosses it to the other team mosley down the sideline mosley cuts it inside all the way Touchdown, San Francisco! Oh, D'Amico Ryans was pumped. D.C., defensive coordinator for the 49ers, was pumped after a 41-yard pick six from Emmanuel Mosley. Heartbreaker, too, because 45 seconds left in the half. Carolina's trying to do something, you know, score some points, and then boom. uh, Flipped it the other direction, give up the pick six right at the end of the half. Unfortunately, this is a tough win injury-wise. For the 49ers. Well, actually, let me, let me get some of the big numbers first. Uh, let's go number of the game first before I get into all the details. Number of the game is 25. 
That is the number of straight losses for the Panthers under Matt Rule when they've given up at least 17 points. 25 straight. If you score 17 points against the Panthers, you can just pull up the you can you can just go home. You can just rest on the sideline for the rest of the game because you are going to win. Uh the 49ers were six point favorites. I actually thought it could have been higher with that defense. On the road, they win 37 to 15. Adjusted score is more narrow. Again, you have these big negative plays like that pick six. So 22 to 13, a bit lower there. And tough win for the 49ers, though. Uh, Mosley, who we just talked about with the pick six, he's feared to have a torn ACL. I'm not sure if there's already more information on that. Uh, Jimmy Ward broke his hand. Nick Bosa left in the second quarter and did not return with a groin injury. Robbie Gould, Robbie Gold, excuse me, I like to say Gould with that name, got hit a couple of times, uh, knee contusion on for him. And they had the, I think they had the punter kicking field goals later on in the game. And for the 49ers, I mean, it was a pretty easy game to win. But I think we have to highlight, again, the fact that third down conversion, Jimmy is back. Jimmy G, who converts on third downs, who's done it consistently throughout his career, who wasn't doing it against the Broncos and the Bears as well. People were starting to wonder what was going on. He's back. He is back. 7 of 10, converting on Jimmy Garoppolo dropbacks in this game on third down, which were huge for keeping them going forward, despite the fact that they weren't the greatest success rate. It's kind of middling success rate in this game. When you keep converting on third downs, you do a whole lot. Uh, Jeff Wilson, 17 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown, but he had a couple of big third down failures, which killed his his efficiency by an EPA, EPA per play. They failed on both running third downs here. Um, so the 49ers now 75% chance to make the playoffs, 58% chance to win the division, which is shocking when you consider they're three and two, they're in a division with the Rams and the Cardinals, but those teams are melting down. So that puts them in really good position here with Garoppolo going forward. They're my sneaky play for potentially winning the conference. Although it's going to be a little bit hard at three and two, along with the bucks for them to get into the hunt for the, the buy, but they could get there. They could definitely get there. Uh, You would not have expected it with this record, but they are right there and they're going to make things interesting going forward. Matt rule and Baker and everyone else. I mean, what, there's not much to say. There's nothing to say for the Panthers right now. The season's over and rule. I would not, I do not think it's going to make it through the season. Uh, I just wish that Matt Corral didn't get injured. So we could see some Corral action here. We could have Corral, Bailey Zappi, um, Skyler Thompson, maybe get Matt Howell in there, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. Let's get all these guys in there. Um, even though there weren't, there's only one first round guy this year. It would have been great to see everyone out there playing this season. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Monday morning edition. Again, not enough time here for Monday night football discussion, but we'll watch Chiefs and Raiders and we'll review it in detail tomorrow while having plenty of time to preview the Thursday night game. Rate, review the pod. If you like what you hear, give a thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching there. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone next week. I'm sorry, tomorrow. Thanks a lot.